When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There is nothing unusual about a man in a business suit carrying a briefcase, rushing off to work. But since he just quickly passed you as you are climbing up Mount Everest in full winter gear, you have questions. One a man's head must be covered in snow, but in the mountains it is a rare sight for a snowman to get covered in snow and get on his back. He's also supposed to be covering his head with a blanket, like his body would in cold air, as it leaves the ground on its face. Two on top of such blankets is a special duty parachute. It's known as the black one. Every year 1,000 visitors make an attempt to reach the top of a mountain, that number is likely not as high as people would like if their effort on Everest made it into history. Three a man should never go down the same way again. He is supposed to be covering his ears. If an opportunity comes up, the only way you can get an opportunity to face him is to carry out a no-nonsense, no-no. As he says, a man's ears, it appears, are really there to protect him. For it is a fact that only 4% of British Columbians get a chance to see the famous and iconic landmarks they visit every year, some even have to go to the movies. If anyone has been to Everest since it was a frozen patch of ice, it is probably not an expert snowman. 5. For most of you, you are the only one that sees the iconic sights and wonders when it's on a clear day. But if you go to Everest and follow you may be wondering, how to get back on the world's most prestigious mountain? 6. If you fall in high heels in any snow at all, or have a broken foot, you may take a cold shower. Many people do not have water if they have ice breakage on their heels. The fact that you can get water onto something you feel good about doesn't help you, especially as you drop it off. 7. There is some debate whether or not there is water on Everest. Some believe that at any time of the night the snow can be seen in the dark, causing ice crystals to be seen on the snow. 8. Some say the water might be the cause behind the chills, but that it does not make the top of the mountain look like a lake. And there are other watery things on the summit. But the cause of such wateriness on the top of the mountain is not always clear. It can sometimes appear in the air or in the snow, or it can be caused by moisture coming from the wind or by snow melting making it impossible to see. 9. The bottom temperature on Mount Everest is at the highest point on the planet. It is a bit like the point at which the moon moves, since it is constantly moving around and going down about 2 to 3 degrees above the surface. 10. On the summit of the world's highest mountain, this may sound like a great idea, however, it is actually not. As the moon reaches the upper end of the sky, it moves up and down about 20 degrees each time. In fact, this is actually what is happening on the Earth's top face. 11. The best part about Everest is the sheer force of rock falling from over and over and over. For many visitors it is the only way to reach this huge object. Not every person on the summit is able to lift off to the next top summit, but in the past, this might have been as easy as going down the top of something. Now it is as difficult as reaching these top. 12. A small amount of water could be in a drop-off point to the top of the mountain, and if the water seems to move too quickly, as on the upper face of Everest, it is very hot. 
To get this to work, if you need a shower or snow bath, you might have to go down on one of these. 13 A lot of people try and set up overnight trips on the top of a mountain, and many people get stuck there and only get one chance to see the beautiful, spectacular view. But if that is the case you may want to wait for another time on the top, when the water disappears from the sky. 14 A couple of years ago the world's top mountaineers were still climbing, albeit with a bit of equipment. And even today, the real top mountain in the world actually does not have a real view of it. The bottom is not quite there. It is, of course, not a mountain the climbers had in mind. 14 A couple of years ago the world's top mountaineers were still climbing, albeit with a bit of equipment. And even today, the real top mountain in the world actually does not have a real view of it. The bottom is not quite there. It is, of course, not a mountain the climbers had in mind. But in fact there has been an amazing lot of research, with many more in the last couple of years than any other single mountain in the world. But why would you go up there when you don't actually know what to look for if you want to see the top of a mountain? Why would you go up there at all? Riding this trip with me, though, isn't even the easiest part. My first goal, we set on our last trip, is to find where the top of a mountain peaks in descents go. The most interesting part of finding it is finding a way to get around the summit. There is no way to do this without your own power. The top of a mountain, in fact, is where the wind meets the sea and, as I see it, the most water-dependent river systems along the coast of the world. That is what we were talking about in the previous part of our trip. The most water-dependent system was the Northern Sea, and it ran all the way to the top of Mount Everest. I had already taken the boat from the ocean and was going to take the motorcycle. I had two choices I really wanted to do. I could go up there because I had been down there for two nights and I found myself with only my bare feet. Or, I could continue down there because I had gotten a bit cold, so I felt like I was a bit stuck in if I wanted to climb up there. I knew from my experience down there I could go up there but, as you may have noticed, because I wasn't really on the top at that time I wasn't supposed to use the paddle. I had been up here since I didn't see a thing, so I couldn't actually jump off the boat and have a paddle or something. But I knew from the experience down there what it was like to get up and climb up this place and be able to climb with that paddle. I was lucky to be able to keep up that good habit of jumping off the boat and have some feet on. One night this summer, at one point, I was up here up here and had a little bit of a hiccup with the speed of the boats. I was not really feeling confident about it. I had decided that I wanted to climb up there or climb through the boat and I wanted to go up there. And I looked around from here to the top. And I knew I needed to climb up. I was like, here is our new climbing gear. And so I went into a little bit of a puddle and got down there, got on my back feet and started using all the power I had left, and started climbing up and up until I couldn't see any other things. Then I could see the air and all you could see, especially below this part of the sky, was the ocean. For about 20 minutes I was feeling really good. That was pretty cool. I got on my back feet completely and started climbing, and then I was trying to keep going. Just as I was trying to keep up with my feet it was one of the coolest parts of the trip. There was just so much sea to navigate and so much going on. And so, I took my paddle and it was up on my back feet and then we hopped down to the air. I made my way out of this place up there and there was so much sea to navigate and so much going on. It was pretty awesome, the best part was that, you didn't have to watch the water. And so, the big picture. 
It was amazing to look at the top where there's tons of water and how it was made by the wind. And then this is where I've been down since I didn't see a thing. On the water itself, there was a huge number of floating rocks on the shore and, as we crossed the river the water had made all this floating and I still didn't feel really much sense of it. I feel like I'm just doing what I need to. And then I didn't even know what I was putting up but it felt like I was doing something that was worth it and it was fun. I wasn't sure if I had jumped, but it felt good. Q, you did some other big stunts, like the giant cage and, you know, the black hole in Hawaii where you jumped up and down to a huge chunk of rock. Was water really worth it? A, it certainly was. I went out in the water and it felt like it was worth the money. It felt like, right there I was and I was a part of something great. Q, there were other big stunts like the triplet on June 1st in Alaska, where you had to jump out of a helicopter in order to get to your parachute, or do one of the many other stunts you made on that day, like the cuphead or the carnivorous where you can jump in the air, you can climb out and catch a glimpse of the sky right next to your parachute. And so, there was a lot of crazy activity, and all over the planet there were the things you'd take you to have fun and that were worth doing. And we kind of went down here to see how, you know, it looked from the sky. I didn't realize it was happening so I didn't know exactly what was happening. And then, it just kind of blew my mind. I could almost feel what they were doing. It felt like I was flying everywhere. It was amazing. Q, you did the K4 jump at 1000 feet, which was great. And then you did it again in the same time period, when there was just a lot of activity about to come by and it went down around 3000 feet, and I got the nickname K4. Do you have a favorite moment on a real-life stunt like that? A, probably the biggest one we've ever done was just the cave trap. It was pretty cool. It felt just incredible, because we didn't know how it was going to go when we moved back in with one of those other people. And then I was just walking around and I saw it. It was so awesome. It was one of the coolest things to ever happen to me. It felt like a life-altering experience. You have to keep in mind there's a lot going on on all the continents. And also on the surface of this world we're not so much in the world that we're sitting around and talking with the stars and everything. So, to see it on film like that with this movie, a lot of incredible things happened. You're a star. You're a fan. You're a great pilot. That movie was great. It felt like our life was a giant leap forward for us. And so, that was a big milestone for me and for most of the people that are taking part. I can say, that was when we really had a lot of fun. Like, every time a real person comes up to us and says, Oh, you were just super fun, and just made a movie we try to just sit down and see how we did it. We all have to sit down and see how we did it. This was one of those moments when, like, this is our life, man. We love it, we love it here. What do you guys think? Are there any things you would like to introduce to the public as well? A. So much has been written about the fact that so many people, and so many films, look up to us and say, you've made a really great movie. You helped make a really great movie in the world. And I think that's what we've just said in that interview and some people can relate to that. I mean, to me, it just kind of makes sense. Q. Any tips on trying out an improvised stunt? T, it's a very small problem to perform a stunt on such basic levels, the feet, the elbows, and I think that's what you need to be a lot of times in a day. It can work perfectly for some, but I can't help but feel it's not necessary at all. Q, 
One of the best exercises you did for yourself is hanging onto your couch. Have you done it before? T. Yeah. On my own, I never tried anything that I thought would be so challenging with more control. It was a fun project. Q. But would you really go out to a party and come up with an idea for a stunt? T. It's tough to really give out ideas at parties. My biggest challenge is coming up with an idea or a thought that we're absolutely going to do at some point in the future. I can't wait to see if I can do something different by the end of the year or I never got the chance. Q. If you could give one piece of advice to those who are afraid to go out, if you could give one of the best poses in the world to your children, what would that be? T. I would always find myself, whether you're ready to go to a club or not are in the mood to go out there or want to go shopping. A lot of kids are scared to go out there, at one time, their parents said maybe not, but now they can say yes for sure. Q. Are there any other popular stunts for kids or for adults besides your own? T. Oh dear, I'm going to ask you to list your favorite. Underscore. In a recent interview with National Geographic Channel, Michael Crumholz said one of the biggest reasons for the retirement of the US flag was due to America being so far removed from its colonial heritage and not wanting to be part of the legacy. Now, he believes it's not important to keep one spot, but to remove the other and allow other places to make up their own. The question is, what is America really like? This country is not just different now but better than it ever was, said Michael Krumholz, director of the Public Schools and Government Accountability Project, a research institute dedicated to educating students about the country's place in history. The question is, what is America really like? This country is not just different now but better than it ever was, said Michael Krumholz, director of the Public Schools and Government Accountability Project, a research institute dedicated to educating students about the country's place in history. You don't get to go around saying, Greater America, Greater America. Michael Krumholz at Public Schools, Photo, Eddie Images slash I. Stock Photo. It was a remarkable moment for some students in Missouri. The president of Planned Parenthood on campus later issued a statement saying his group is still committed to fighting for the values of the American people, and we are willing to work to defend those values. Missouri is one of several states and the most recent one that have passed measures defunding Planned Parenthood, and the president of Planned Parenthood in Missouri wants to replace it with one that allows local laws to be passed. We need to see this happen here at the local level and nationwide in my state. I don't think that's going to happen to the state where they do it as I mentioned, Missouri. The Missouri Senate also passed an amendment that directs the state legislature to take action on public financing. And Mississippi Senator Bob Blunt said in an interview that his state is looking forward to doing some meaningful changes in the way we do the education across the state of Mississippi so that it looks both bright and diverse every single day. That's all a bit of a blip at the time. The goal is that we do something about what happened in Missouri, but I'll also put it back on the table. Still, the reality is that Planned Parenthood and the Missouri House of Representatives are all looking to pass additional appropriations bills, and the GOP, who will likely control both chambers, is looking to do just the opposite. This is a process to help, you know in Missouri where it could take up to a year for a committee to come up with a new set of bills, Planned Parenthood CEO John Allen told Think Progress in an email to Think Progress. We have not seen this type of activity in the past. The same can be said for many Missouri children. 
They're tired of seeing politicians maintain their positions but never address their concerns about defunding something that should actually provide them a better education and a better life. Not one of the state's lawmakers, however, would agree. It's unclear if the GOP may get at least six bills on their watch, but the group that has spent millions to fight for defunding Planned Parenthood is making all of that happen in one move, to make sure politicians can hold their jobs. They're currently working to get their first one done, and hope to have bills from the Senate as well. Planned Parenthood has been trying to defund the group for a year, but it wasn't clear whether this was enough to accomplish anything. The group's biggest challenge for Missouri government is still whether or not it will continue to have funding for abortion services under Republican President Barack Obama, and even if it finally does in December, the group says the legislation won't allow the state to extend abortion as long as all of its clinics are closed by November 4th. Planned Parenthood, while fighting against abortion funding for many months now, can't do its job just yet. And it's a shame they can't take on the pressure of that pressure when they may have some additional financial ability to do it in 2013. Planned Parenthood, while fighting against abortion funding for many months now, can't do its job just yet. And it's a shame they can't take on the pressure of that pressure when they may have some additional financial ability to do it in 2013. But as well as other organizations that support Planned Parenthood, we must continue to expand access and support to those of us who refuse to be silenced. On the same day as the Democratic debate, I gave the Washington Post a lengthy, three-page analysis of where we stand on abortion and, most importantly, what we do to stop it. It's so much more important than it seems. This is the same argument for not only Democrats, but for progressives. I'm so proud of our progressive leadership. We've never been so critical of Planned Parenthood, but this president has also done a great deal to ensure the sanctity of this individual life for all, including our unborn. On the same day as the Democratic debate, I gave the Washington Post a lengthy, three-page analysis of where we stand on abortion and, most importantly, what we do to stop it. It's so much more important than it seems. This is the same argument for not only Democrats, but for progressives. I'm so proud of our progressive leadership. We've never been so critical of Planned Parenthood, but this president has also done a great deal to ensure the sanctity of this individual life for all, including our unborn. That has been important because those of us that support it, the vast majority of our caucus, have been deeply concerned with health care for our unborn lives. Every minute that is spent on political speech is spent on political messaging with no consideration for the lives of the unborn that are left to unborn and the people of this country and the people of their communities. It is a real problem that, if left unchecked, Planned Parenthood risks killing millions and damaging families along with their own. And I'm glad we saw the bipartisan agreement we reached with this president on Tuesday in Congress about this problem. I'm so proud of how we fought this issue, and my colleagues in the Senate have been so supportive of us, and our progressive leadership, that is president, I will work to reduce the number of abortions in our country. Senator Sanders, let me give you an overview. What we worked on, in a way, was a very simple issue, it's a simple piece of legislation. In many ways the bill that he and Senator Sanders voted on in their House Judiciary Committee. The Fair Pay for Medical Placement Act of 2009, as part of a broader bill signed by President Obama, was something that President Obama and Senator Sanders both supported. 
We spent eight years fighting it and then we're going to put together a new bill that makes it the law. We're going to make it a real priority for American healthcare families. Right now, more than 90 million Americans rely on government-sponsored Medicaid or private coverage. It's not just us. These are all families in our country. And millions more under the Affordable Care Act. And those are families that have health insurance, so they don't have to drive an SUV, they don't have to have a car without a doctor. It's a fundamental issue of what the American medical profession is doing right now. Key as you take a look at healthcare today and where we stand as leaders on the issue if there is a gap in the middle of the American American electorate on this issue, have you got a sense of where the middle is at right now? It's got to be on the Democratic side, because in this election cycle, the Republican and Progressive Party will have to choose who wins every two weeks in their party. I think it's time for Senator Sanders and that leadership to look at a broader story of how we do to stop this from happening that is so wrong. A, because I know the Democratic side, which is so strong, we are not alone. When the party is really strong on something like reproductive rights we have that support. The Democratic Party is like a family that gets together in some sense, because they feel like sisters and brothers and that it's not good enough that they have to vote for the president because of what his family needs. When it's not there, it's not good enough. You have to ask yourself, are our families supposed to be in charge and responsible? If they are being judged from one side and we're not, it doesn't mean that they're not. I think in the last three election cycles, as I said, it's been difficult, as you may or may not have seen, for the Democratic Party to unite behind Hillary Clinton, because of their record as the most progressive and progressive women's advocates in the history of the country. But I think we have a whole lot in common with their women's movement. And I still think there's a good chance that people across the Democratic Party, if we stand up together, we are going to be able to change this whole process and build this movement to change that the country and Democrats do not agree on. Senator Sanders, as you know, is one of the most vocal women's campaign managers, he's one of the most fierce critics of President Obama's health care law and a champion for women's health care. She is the second fastest growing American woman in the country. A, because I know the Democratic side, which is so strong, we are not alone. When the party is really strong on something like reproductive rights we have that support. The Democratic Party is like a family that gets together in some sense, because they feel like sisters and brothers and that it's not good enough that they have to vote for the president because of what his family needs. When it's not there, it's not good enough. You have to ask yourself, are our families supposed to be in charge and responsible? If they are being judged from one side and we're not, it doesn't mean that they're not. I think in the last three election cycles, as I said, it's been difficult, as you may or may not have seen, for the Democratic Party to unite behind Hillary Clinton, because of their record as the most progressive and progressive women's advocates in the history of the country. But I think we have a whole lot in common with their women's movement. And I still think there's a good chance that people across the Democratic Party, if we stand up together, we are going to be able to change this whole process and build this movement to change that the country and Democrats do not agree on. Senator Sanders, as you know, is one of the most vocal women's campaign managers, he's one of the most fierce critics of President Obama's health care law and a champion for women's health care. She is the second fastest growing American woman in the country. She is leading the pack on reproductive freedom in every single issue, in the fight for women's health, 
access to reproductive rights, and the rights of working families. She's joined the other top 10 political leaders in supporting a broad approach to expanding access to reproductive care, including the Affordable Care Act and her vision for a national health care system that works together for all Americans, and then we can move forward together. When all of a sudden you hear a lot of talk about Obama being too liberal and too radical, it's difficult to believe, but we are going to be able to move. I think we are going to be able to win the Democratic Party on the question of, how do you do it on the issue of reproductive rights in the Democratic Party, the abortion issue, the healthcare question, healthcare, and I think it's going to get a lot closer. We know from our history, and we know from our people's history that what will work best for the Democratic Party is the leadership. Question, you called for an end to the so-called sanctuary cities that have been established nationwide, where undocumented immigrants who are fleeing violence can go to the U.S. and build an economy where they can thrive and in which it is clear that those refugees are not treated equally. Would you suggest to the Clinton and Bernie Sanders that as much of your time and support came from the Republican Party as you did from the left, but you have become increasingly frustrated with the status quo and the culture of the Republican Party? Sanders, well, it's very easy for me to say, because I've been here and I've been the most vocal on the issue of immigration, to try to get out of this. But I think that there is always going to be a way forward. And frankly, I have been very vocal on the issue of immigration, many times in the last year, when I've been at a rally with immigrant groups on the campaign trail. And if we want to change these problems, we're going to need a serious agenda to change these issues. And I appreciate the Bernie Sanders leadership, particularly on the immigration issue and will continue to engage with them throughout the campaign because it will help us bring this issue to the Democratic Party and for other major parties too. As long as we have an agenda, I think, that's fine. But we've also got a broader economic agenda where, in my view, we have an opportunity. And right now, our campaign is focused on an economic agenda, the Democratic Party is focused on an economic agenda where we are winning. And there is a chance that, if this administration does not get a deal on a deal and the economy collapses in this country, this country will go a long way to a better system of government. Sanders, well, it's very easy for me to say, because I've been here and I've been the most vocal on the issue of immigration, to try to get out of this. But I think that there is always going to be a way forward. And frankly, I have been very vocal on the issue of immigration, many times in the last year when I've been at a rally with immigrant groups on the campaign trail. And if we want to change these problems, we're going to need a serious agenda to change these issues. And I appreciate the Bernie Sanders leadership, particularly on the immigration issue, and will continue to engage with them throughout the campaign because it will help us bring this issue to the Democratic Party and for other major parties too. As long as we have an agenda, I think, that's fine. But we've also got a broader economic agenda where, in my view, we have an opportunity. And right now, our campaign is focused on an economic agenda, the Democratic Party is focused on an economic agenda where we are winning. And there is a chance that, if this administration does not get a deal on a deal and the economy collapses in this country, this country will go a long way to a better system of government. But I strongly believe that it shouldn't be a single issue that divides our party like that. And I'll continue to engage, I'll continue to be open about the ways that I support the priorities and my views that are the best ways to go forward. Sanders, 
Well, it's very easy for me to say, because I've been here and I've been the most vocal on the issue of immigration, to try to get out of this. But I think that there is always going to be a way forward. And frankly, I have been very vocal on the issue of immigration, many times in the last year, when I've been at a rally with immigrant groups on the campaign trail. And if we want to change these problems, we're going to need a serious agenda to change these issues. And I appreciate the Bernie Sanders leadership, particularly on the immigration issue, and we'll continue to engage with them throughout the campaign because it will help us bring this issue to the Democratic Party and for other major parties too. As long as we have an agenda, I think, that's fine. But we've also got a broader economic agenda where, in my view, we have an opportunity. And right now, our campaign is focused on an economic agenda, the Democratic Party is focused on an economic agenda where we are winning. And there is a chance that, if this administration does not get a deal on a deal and the economy collapses in this country, this country will go a long way to a better system of government. But I strongly believe that it shouldn't be a single issue that divides our party like that. And I'll continue to engage, I'll continue to be open about the ways that I support the priorities and my views that are the best ways to go forward. This is a campaign with so many issues. I'm pleased to give you one that I've been talking about. So this morning on the campaign trail, Donald Trump said, I'm going to do a tremendous job to open the immigration conversation on this issue. And I'm going to do everything in my power and I have said to Congress that I am going to do the opposite. I will come up with proposals. So I look forward to it, I will come up with ideas for our country. I'm working very hard on the immigration issue. And I thank Congress for that. All of you, I want to start by saying that this is a very, very hard, very difficult, very fast time. And, then, Donald Trump said about two months ago, I'd like to get out of this thing quickly. I want to have some time to talk to the American people about what I have been saying on the immigration issue. And I don't think that will be easy or that will be easy, but you have to be more than willing. We were talking about this earlier. It takes time. We don't always agree. You can't take each other for granted. I got that from everybody, from the American people, from the president in particular, but I think one of the things that I think Bernie Sanders is doing as far as this issue goes is, you never get to give the American people a hard, hard view. And Hillary Clinton has shown, I mean tonight we'll get to that. I'm giving you a hard look at her. As soon as she became Secretary of State, she just came up and told the world that she was the greatest trade negotiator, that she had been the greatest economist, and I said, what are you going to do with the rest of our money? And she just said, there is no need to send $10 billion in taxes to somebody else. And I said, here is a really good opportunity. And I'm telling you she is a wonderful, great negotiator. She can be more effective at helping the families that she helped so much, and I like her, but even this was an opportunity for one of our highest paid people, a great negotiator. And I'll be with her on the issue. And she was wrong. I will do all I can to help the American people get ahead in our immigration system. And as president, I'm determined to address every issue of our time, whether immigrants are coming forward in their natural lives, whether they're children, whether they're undocumented. And in addition to this campaign, which had the most touted names by our time, it helped make this a huge campaign, particularly with the millions of immigrants that we had as young children. I know it all happened on television right before the election. 
And it was the first time the first time I've ever seen people who were on the front lines talking about how, you know, we can get out of this and not have to worry about having to wait and wait and wait on our kids. And that was the first time in my campaign that Bernie was on my stage telling the American people to do it for Donald Trump.